We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Phoenix fans, how you doing? It's your boy John of the Macri with you for another episode, an All Star Week episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Very excited to be coming at you. Um, although I imagine I will be, I will be uh, more relaxed at the time that you are listening to this than I am at the time that I am recording it, and that is because I am recording this um, uh, probably about a week or so before you listen to it. Um, as is tradition here at Knicks Film School, we uh, we all like to take a little bit of a breather uh, during All Star Week, so we we want to get some high quality content um, in the in the hopper before we all take a, a few days for ourselves. And I can think of no better person to help me produce such high quality content than uh, the one and the only Ray Marcano. Uh, Ray, I didn't even ask you how should I introduce you these days. Uh, I mean, you have your your titles are kind of ever changing. Can I spoil your new gig for everybody? My new gig? What is my new gig? Well, I mean, you have kind of a prominent role these days in which you're 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 writing. Um, can I? Will you say it? Uh, well, I mean, you know, my stuff appears in uh, a number of places, uh, including USA Today on occasion. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty nice. Uh, it happens when it happens. It doesn't when it doesn't. Ray has Uh, a semi-regular, uh, weekend column, uh, just weekends or is it just like whenever you feel like writing? Uh, no, no, no. My, uh, my weekly column appears every Sunday in the Dayton daily news. And I also write for the USA today, today network through the Columbus dispatch. They pick stuff up. It may end up in USA today. It may end up in some other places, you know, oftentimes I don't know. And really, uh, if it does, it's great. There you go. And you're kind enough to send me some stuff along when you, when you have it out there. Um, but I love talking to you for a few reasons. One, you've been in journalism for, um, I'm going to say something, but then you'll, they'll, you'll accuse me of, of implying that you're old and I don't want to do that. I was going to say you've been in journalism for almost as long as I've been alive. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair, John. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) I I was expecting John to start that with 
Ray's been around so long when he was growing up, rainbows were in black and white or something like that. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> uh, so, so not only do, do, uh, do you have a, a certain perspective that frankly, nobody, nobody else that I know, uh, has, um, but you've been a Nick fan for a very long time. Obviously you've been on this podcast before you're a contributor to, uh, my beloved newsletter. So, yeah, I wanted to get you on uh, because this feels like a significant season for a franchise that has had a, a great many insignificant seasons over the entirety of their history and, and in particular uh, over their, their recent history. So I kind of wanted to bring you on to get a little bit of perspective on the year that we're having. When I first pitched this to you, it was a few weeks after the Ananobi trade, I think, right? Does that sound right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. And and the original genesis of this was, you know, especially after they started winning basically every game following that trade, is I kind of wanted to pick your brain about comparisons to this team versus the um, 1968-69 team, which for anybody who may not know, is the team that traded for... Dave the Busher, and although they did not win uh, a championship that year, they won um, obviously two of the next four, including the franchise's first world title in 1970. Um, so I think that's probably as good a place to start it as any. And and I guess what I'm, well, so we've talked about the Debusher trade before, and why don't we can we like set the scene for where, from what you recall, where things were at with the franchise? I guess before. They made that trade. Sure. Well, the Knicks had a really good problem back then, uh, and that was they had two centers. They knew that they were both going to be really, really good, but they couldn't keep them both because at the time they had Willis Reed playing power forward, and that's not really his gig. You know, Willis Reed was a center. So what do they do? They trade Bellamy and Comines to Detroit for DeBusher. And that was really the impetus of what started the Knicks on that role over the next uh, several years was that DeBusher trade because he was exactly what they needed, not only from the defensive end, but that allowed them to slide Willis Reed over to his natural position uh, and really show his stuff. So they make that trade midway through. I'm actually pulling it up right now. So. Yeah, the Busher played the first 29 games of that season with the mm-hmm. Pistons. Comes to New York, um, plays his first game with it. I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you remember who, who his first game was when he was a Nick? Who his against? first game was against? Yes. <sighs> wow, uh, you are. It's really, a team that uh, he was very familiar with. Detroit, that. Detroit. Yeah, I remember that. Detroit. Yeah, he played Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, played Detroit in Detroit, actually. So we didn't, probably didn't, I don't. I wonder if he even uh, left his house yet. Um, and uh, they won by forty-eight points. Uh, Detroit obviously was not very very good at the time. And then uh, they proceeded to continue to win, and they ended up winning uh, nine games in a row following that trade. The, the it was actually ten games in a row total, but it was nine from the first game that that the Busher trade or DeBusher arrived and then they just kept winning at a very prolific pace. Do you, do you remember was like when the trade got made, was there like a, I don't say like a switch that got flipped, but was, was the, was the impact 
was the difference like kind of instantaneous like you knew it right away uh the impact was instantaneous but of course and this is just the caveat that the nba was much different back then uh but even before uh the busher came to the knicks he was renowned as arguably the best defensive forward in the game okay uh elgin elgin baylor famously said the one guy i'm paraphrasing now but that the one player he did not want to face on the court from a defensive perspective was the busher because he was so good under those rules um i mean he really if you have if you've never seen dave the busher play back and play defense under the old rules uh you're really missing out you should get on youtube and see how he did it because it was amazing what do you mean when you say the old rules? I, I I know what you mean, but I want you to kind of expand upon that a little bit. Uh, well, the old rules, I mean, you can hand check back then. The busher was really, really known. I don't know if people will be able to see this, but he would take his arm like this and press it into the um, uh, offensive player's back. Uh, and you were allowed to do that back then. You were allowed to put your hands on the way. I mean, you weren't allowed to hug them, but you could take your hand. You could put them on the waist. Uh, you could cut the lanes off easier that way. There were a whole lot of things that players could do back then that they can't do now. Uh, you know, if they did now, they'd have six fouls uh, before the uh, you know the first quarter was halfway through. Yeah. Um, so he and to your point about him being renowned um, in terms of his defensive acumen, it's tough to, it's tough to quantify that one, because like we don't really have advanced stats that go back that far, but not even that when um, he got traded to the Knicks, it was actually that season, the 68, 69 season was the first season that they started doing um, all defense. The very first all defense team was that year. And I'm just going to read off, um, which I'm sure you're you're well. I don't know if you're familiar with these because you know you know that DeBusher made All Defense First Team every year that the award was in existence or the the honor was in existence um, until he retired. What you may not know, some of our listeners may not know, he was third in All Defense voting shares. So like the the the, the percentage of voters that had him on their ballot, he was third out of all players in the NBA the first year that they did that. Second. Um, the second year they did that, the 69-70 season. And then the last four years of his career, he received a greater percentage of all defense votes, including one year in which he was a unanimous selection by every voter. But those four years received a greater percentage of all defense votes than anybody in the league. And then and then retired, which talk about going out on top. Um, why do you think he retired? I know we're bouncing around. Why do you think he retired as early as he did? Is, did he ever speak on that? Did anybody ever speak on that? Yeah, he had a back injury. Uh, it was just and, that simple. Okay. It was that simple. He had a back injury. He didn't think that he could perform at the level that he was accustomed to. Of course, if you look at his last year, and I don't oh, – what did he average? Uh, he, he probably actually – 18 and 12. I think it was 18 and 12, right? It was – I'm fairly certain it was the most points per game he'd averaged in his – sorry. In his uh, second All-Star campaign with Detroit, 66-69, he averaged 18.2 points a game his last season as a pro he averaged 18.1 finished 11th in mvp voting that year yeah and i think 10, 11 or 12 rebounds a game so dave the uh oh my god i can't do it anymore at the time was among the uh, best in basketball and from a defensive standpoint at that particular time in the nba you could argue there were only two players in the nba who were better defensively than dave the uh chamberlain and russell that's it. That's the list. Uh, everybody else was 
Right. I mean, if you can be mentioned with Chamberlain and Russell in the same breath in anything, that's a hell of a player. It, I, I, I don't want to go off on a whole tangent here, but it is kind of a shame that the, again, all defense was only around for a certain number of years of his career. So he, he probably got jobbed a, a bunch of all defense selections that would have really put him like when you do your, your sorting you know, about all defense stuff. And like, I know Russell's not there either because again, Russell, a lot of, they missed a lot of his years. They missed a lot of Chamberlain's years, but those mm-hmm. guys have the reputations that live on because they're the, the position they played, they're centers. And I feel like the busher doesn't get that, that same, that same benefit. And because he doesn't get that same benefit, a lot of younger fans which is part of the reason I want to do this pod. Don't, when you think of like who are the greatest defensive players in history, you think of before a certain era, maybe before like the eighties, you think kind of only of centers. And then since then, you you know, you'll think of like maybe like Dennis Rodman or, you know, guys of that ilk. But yeah, I, it's he was sounds like he was pretty incredible. That's all he, he was. And, and the reason that is, John, is because of the eye test. Right. Uh, we have uh, if you're a basketball ba- a fan, excuse me, embedded in your brain of Chamberlain and Russell going up to the top of the square on the backboard to block a shot or get yeah. a rebound. You don't see that with the busher. He was far more subtle, far more cerebral in how he put how he played defense. Um, yeah, and and I guess that probably went went well with the the team. And speaking of the team, nineteen so the the sixty eight sixty nine team, or excuse me, the team he was with for the full season, the the championship team, sixty nine seventy. Uh, they gave up 105.9 points per game that year. The next lowest number in the entire league was the team that they would wind up meeting in the finals, the Lakers, who gave up 111.8. After the Lakers, the next lowest in the entire league was the Bucks at 114.2. So the gap between the Knicks and the third place Bucks, who obviously employed gentlemen by the name of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, was like as significant as between the Bucks and like the the last place. Uh, defense. And this is back when people, again, fans watching the sport now may think, oh, there's never been scoring like this in the history of the league. Actually, there was back in the mid yeah. to late 60s. Yeah. So do, do you remember like, the, like, what was it like? Because there was no three pointer. So how was the scoring so crazy? Like, what how, could, could you, could you give us like kind of a, a visual or something? Speed. Uh, there were, I mean, the, 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 there was very, there were very few teams, excuse me. There were very few teams that employed what we would consider to be a traditional half po- half court defense. Okay. Lots of people would come up and down the court, shoot quick without that three cor- uh, pointer. And without that half court defense, a lot of the emphasis at the time was either defense like the Knicks did or getting to the basket. Um, that was a that's why Chamberlain and, and Russell and Elgin Baylor and Connie Hawkins and all of those folks who were bigger and a little more brawny uh, had such great careers because they did a lot of their damage 12 feet and in uh, from the basket. And they're trying to get up the court as quickly as they can to do that damage. And that's the reason why. So it was just a faster game, probably back. Faster then, game. OK, that's faster. Yeah. Game. Now, not, not comp- yeah. now, it's not not fast as we would compare it today. <laughs> yeah, fast, faster, I think, than what people seem to think about basketball in the 60s and 70s. Um, that's funny. Speaking of like speed, we, you know, we've never we've talked about so much NBA 
bullshit over the years. I've never asked you about the whole, like, if you could put this player, such and such a player in the game today, you know, how would they do? You mentioned Chamberlain and Russell. You, we get we get to the Knicks too. Do you think those guys going to play today? Chamberlain, absolutely. For my uh, dollar, he is the most athletic NBA player in the history of basketball. I think he could, and I'm sorry, all the newbies out there who are going, ah, what about Allen Iverson? What about, what about LeBron? What about Michael? No. Wilt Chamberlain was a seven foot two monster of, of a man who high jumped in college. Yeah. Not only that, he could have played if he wanted to professional football. The dude was a monster. There's been nobody like him. I'm not going to go off on my Chamberlain high horse and tangent. I, I love he it. Would be, he'd be number one on my list. Give me Wilt Chamberlain. Um, I, I like that. In terms of one, one more question, and then I want to kind of bring it back to the current team, and then we'll bounce around from there. Do you, in terms of the, again, after DeBusher came, it's a tough question because you mentioned how the rule, it's a different sport, like it's in terms of the rules and what they allow you to do. Do you see any teams nowadays that do what the Knicks did at either end of the court? And just like we always hear about their togetherness and the synergy and how it was like it was like one mind split amongst five guys and they were just like, or is that just not a thing that could really happen anymore? No, I, I think the closest team, and I've actually thought about this quite a bit, that comes to yeah. mind is the mid-90 Knicks with Mason okay. and Oakley and Starks. Uh, the defensive fight, I remember, when they were playing, the first change to the hand-checking rule did not come into play until 1994. And that. then when they got rid of hand-checking in 2004. So while that team was together in the mid-90s, they were still allowed to do a number of the things you could do in the late 60s, early 70s on defense. And you saw that with Mason, with Oakley, with Starks. That's why those Knicks teams were so good defensively. They weren't as good as the DeBusher, Frazier, Bradley years, but they were very, very good because they were able to employ the techniques that they were allowed to use at the time. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. That so the '93, '94 Knicks, who obviously went to the finals um, and got amazing. We have a pension for going to fucking Houston and getting screwed. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. Pardon, my, pardon my French. Still a little, a little fresh. Um, that team. <laughs> that team gave up 91.5 um, points per game. The next lowest, again, this is 93-94, the next lowest team in the league in terms of points per game was the Spurs, who employed uh, Dennis Rodman and David Robinson, two, two pretty pretty good defensive players. But they were at 94.8. And then you had the Bulls, no, no Jordan, but still kind of the rest of that infrastructure at 94.9. And then you had, um, it was about 10 teams total that held opponents under 100. But still, the Knicks were like, I mean to hold opponents to like close to 80 something points a game. It's it's um so that's a that's yeah. a good call. That's a great call on 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 the, like the best you've seen since then. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's bring it back to the present for a minute. Then we'll keep bouncing around from there. Um, it's weird to talk about because we're we're sitting here and it's, you know, we're recording this on uh, February 13th. OG Ananobi hasn't played in since uh, January 20. What was that Miami game? 27th, whatever it is. It's, it's been about mm-hmm. two and a half, three weeks. Um, right. But just like, let, let's take a step back to when he was healthy because I, I think it's important. The impact that he made off the off the bat and how the other pieces seemed to fit when he came aboard. Did that did that remind you of the Busher situation? Sorta. Okay. Uh, and it reminded me of the Busher situation because in terms of build, they're not significantly different. I think the Busher, what, 6'6", 220, 225, and an old 6'7", 230. Six, uh, they six, both he had, was listed at 6'6", 220. Yeah. Yeah, he was not 6'6". Six, six. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> everything was inflated back then. Uh yeah. And, uh, you know, Ananobi about the same, uh, you know, six, seven, two thirty, or, or, or whatever he is. And, but they both have that really sturdy lower half from the waist okay. down. Uh, the way I like to, re- uh, uh, to refer to it as Ananobi is the anti Obi topping, where Obi has, you know, two little sticks for legs walking or kind of around like this. And, <laughs> and you like Obi. I want to say, to tell everybody who may not know, you're a big Obi fan. You're an Ohio guy. I like Obi. Yeah, you always I, like I like Obi, but you know he's got those two little stick legs going, and Ananobi is, uh, you know, he's really, really sturdy. So they reminded me of each other in terms of build. But earlier, when you asked me about players that could play from the past that could play today, sure. this might be a bit of a hot take, but I don't think Dave DeBusher would be the same defensive player he was back then. Under the new set of rules, players being bigger, players being faster, and having to uh, get out to the three-point line to defend, I don't think the Busher would be nearly as effective today uh, as he was. Conversely, though, Ananobi, I think, would have been able to play and dominate back in the time that the Busher was playing. Yeah, I mean, that makes me kind of think of... Because, I like, the reason why I... Because immediately after the trade, a lot of people far older than you, Ray. I want to just point that out. Far older than you. Thank you, John. It, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Kate, you know, would 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 write to me or or say to me in some form or fashion how much this reminded them of the, the Bush trade. And my and my hesitancy in going full boat on that was. DeBusher is well. He was. Let's just 
for anybody who may not know the accolades, he was named one of the 75 greatest greatest players of all time. And what I what I find particularly notable about that, and I'm again quick tangent, and I, I want you to chime in on this, is his resume in terms of like where he where he stacks up against other guys. Um, he only made one All NBA team in his career. It was the 68 69 season. We spent part of it with Detroit, and then the rest of it. Like that's among the lowest of the guys that made the top 75. And yet, and yet there is not a single reputable person out there who would dare to suggest that Dave, the Busher was not one of the 75 greatest players that whoever lived. And I'm sure there's some people out there who think he probably maybe has an argument for top 60, top 50, whatever. So like this guy is one of the, like he's one of the greats full stop. He is one of the all timer. OG Ananobi is not, OG Ananobi is not that. But because of what you just mentioned about how the sport has changed and the, I don't, you know, if it's athleticism, if it's build, if it's whatever it is that is required to be a premium defender today, that's kind of why I didn't feel ridiculous having this, this conversation. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, because, you know, the parallel that I see is the Knicks were a defensive stopper short back in that 68-69 season, and they went out and traded some really top-notch assets to get that defensive stopper. Uh, Same thing this time around. The Knicks were were already a very good defensive team, but they were really that one defensive stopper away from being just one piece away. So you get that... Mm. I'm not going to say superstar because I think that's, I think that's way, way overwrought. Uh, The Knicks are one player away uh, from really, really making noise in the NBA for the next three to five years. And Anobi gets us to the point where getting that player really puts us in a great position without Anobi. We probably will not get there. I I mean, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, and that's the that's the maybe that's the biggest difference, right? Is okay. Debusher was the piece, like they didn't need another piece. Although, although, and this is I, you know, I thought of this a couple of days ago, and I was like, oh, good, I got Ray coming on, I could pick his brain about this. That they did add, well, they actually added a couple significant pieces between the first championship and the second championship. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I was going to highlight Monroe because I want to get to a Donovan Mitchell conversation real quick. But they also added Jerry Lucas, speaking of guys who made the top 75 list of all time. Um, Jerry Lucas was a pretty good basketball player and came here and had to do different things than when he was with Cincinnati. But like he he was instrumental to that second championship. Um, so like, but either way, they the, the, the Busher was good enough to be the final piece for the first title team. Um, and you're right. I do think this team needs another piece. I'm going to ask you about Mitchell because... Again, you remember when they traded for for Earl? Um, was the was the conversation about like that? Because you always hear Clyde talk about it, right? Oh, they said there's only one ball; it's not going to work. This and that. Was it? Was that really the conversation, or is he just kind of exaggerating all these years later? And was there more hope that it would would work out well? He's not exaggerating at all. The big thing uh, that I remember in reading all the press accounts, and by the way, I was a vociferous newspaper reader from the time I was a very, very small boy back in 1927. Um, I uh, thought I'd just throw that in there, John. Uh, I remember that uh, the big thing in New York sports media was there is no way 
uh, Frazier and Monroe can play together. Uh, they're too similar. Uh, there's only one ball. And not only that, uh, they would likely be a destructive presence in the locker room because they're two flashy personalities who wanted the uh -huh. attention on them. Uh, and as we know, that didn't turn out to be the case at all. Um, matter of fact, Earl outlasted uh, Clyde uh, here did. in New York. Uh, so, no, th that's what they thought, but that didn't come to pass at all. You've The team that you've written about for me a few times uh, where it was the first, the uh, first time it was it the that no, was the first all all black roster, right, in the league. Yes, nine, yes, nineteen eighty. I forget the year off the top of my I, head, but it was yeah. I forget if Earl or because Earl lasted until like the basically the end of the seventies. I I, I want to go back and look at, um and see if he was seventy six. Like, His last year was seventy six. Okay, and the, the so first was, all black team came a few years later. Came a few I'm years later look it up while we're here. Yeah, but he he really did last. I think a lot a lot longer than most people because people you know they think of like all right, well after the seventy three team that's it. They kind of broke it up because Reed retired and and the Busher retired. But um, no, Pearl was kind of the last one from that group. But it was the last so, one. Yeah, seventy nine eighty. By the way, it was a seventy nine eighty team. It was a first one. Okay. Team. Um. So turning again to now, you brought you brought it up, not me. The steam is a piece away. Does does the Mitch would Mitchell Brunson again in terms of what we would think about it going in? Would it remind you of what the what the talk was about Pearl uh, Clyde back in the day? No, uh, because there are no Eagles involved. At least no okay. Eagles that we see. I mean, Brunson seems at least on the surface to be one of the most egoless people you ever see. And I've never read any accounts of Donovan Mitchell of being anything but a really good guy. Uh, it's not. I don't think it's the same. I think the only question is whether or not a backcourt of that size can coexist in today's NBA. Uh, I personally think the answer is no, but okay. you know, yeah, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know a lot, right? Um, yeah, I, I just don't think so. And, I, and the defensive issues are going to be a real problem too. Yes, uh, that's for sure. And, and you put those two there, uh, together. Although, you know, I mean, right now it's Steven Chenzo in that spot. And that's, that's the other part of it. What we're seeing from Steven Chenzo lately has been, has been incredible. All right. I don't want to go too far down the Donald Mitchell. Right. Oh, that, God, I mean, I, I, again, I think every team, when you build a championship team, you need a little, well, probably need more than a little bit of luck, but like, between Brunson and DiVincenzo to get your starting backcourt now for this next team, which is again, I know they they came into the All Star break here scuffling, um, but when healthy, they're they're a bear. To get both of those guys on your roster for less than the price of a like the lowest max contract, basically like a a, a six year a zero to six year max contract, like those two guys together are making that amount of money. Um, I'm trying to think if any if the if the if the championship teams had any player like that that they got that wasn't supposed to be what they ended up what they ended up being because like Bradley Bradley was one of the most ballyhooed players ever coming out of college. I mean Clyde was but Clyde wasn't supposed to be Clyde so maybe that's it maybe that's the thing that they had. 
Well, it's not only that, but, you know, like, and this is a comparison or something that meshes with today's Knicks. Those teams were really, really deep. Uh, when you can pick up Don May, I think it was in the fifth round of the draft. Uh, and you had Phil Jackson back there and Bill Hoskett back there and a bunch of other people that were, that could have in many cases started for other NBA teams. Mm. Very, very, very deep team. Um, and that might have been their um, uh, their biggest uh, superpower. Lucas, you know, you mentioned Lucas was great, but, uh, you know, I would argue after watching him and I didn't watch him in college and after hearing about him and uh, seeing some of t- some of the tape on him that he did. He had a far better NBA career than most people would have thought. Jerry Lucas. Jerry Lucas. Yeah. Interesting. He was guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, but again, you could. If you drafted a guy back then, like if you wanted to keep him, you could keep him. And yeah. it's a little bit, it's complicated to talk about because I'm, I'm going to bring up Emmanuel quickly. Like if the Knicks, like the Knicks drafted Emmanuel quickly, but there were real off court considerations that went into whether or not they could keep him long term. And obviously he was part of the NNOB trade. So it's, again, it's a, it's a it's a tough it's a tough thing to talk about, but like once upon a time, if the Knicks like they would have had no no qualms with just hanging on to Emmanuel quickly, and it's like, all right, you're gonna come here, you're gonna play twenty minutes a game, twenty five minutes a game, whatever, and right. you know, and they and you didn't have to worry about restricted free agency back then, so they would have had a no no problem just keeping that guy for for a very long time. Um, but then again, if the rules were the same as they were back then, we probably wouldn't be sitting here talking about Jalen Brunson, so. Um, That's right. Yeah. What, what, what do I know? By the way, I'm one of the few people that was not upset by, I shouldn't say few people. I'm one of the people that was not upset by the IQ or the Grimes trade, uh, even though they're young and they're very good and they were ours and weren't going to put us over the top. Uh, number one. And I've got tremendous faith in a Knicks front office. It's getting these players in the twenties. Um, it's a great job by them. They've been, they've been outstanding. Um, there's no two ways about it. They've been outstanding. And I think, you know, you look at the team right now, and again, it, it's it's not perfect, and they're and guys are getting pushed past their limits. But like, I I do wonder. And again, this is a callback to that team. I mean, the Willis Reed. I'll pull up his. I'll pull up his games played. Um, right now, between uh, over the the last few years of his career. I mean, Willis Reed obviously was the MVP in nineteen sixty nine seventy. And then from that point forward, the next year he played a decent amount of games. Played seventy three games the next year. Finished fourth in MVP. His last three years of his career, seventy one, seventy two, played eleven games. Um, seventy two, seventy three, uh, the year the next year that they won the championship, played in sixty nine games, but only averaged twenty seven minutes a night, which back then was like unheard of. I mean, Willis Reed was a was a thirty eight, thirty minute a, a a night guy for for the the prime of his career and then his his very last season in New York he played he played 19 games so like they kept it going even though he had really broken down and like he was there for the 73 run you know he averaged 28 29 minutes a game throughout that playoffs but I, he was a much more limited player by then right Yes. Uh, had a hard time um, getting around the court. Uh, you know, he gave it all because, you know, his Willis Reed, he wants to be out there, but he just couldn't do it anymore. And that's where that uh, bench uh, uh, really helped him that year. But 
but like nowadays, the thought of a of a team having an MVP, literal MVP on their roster, and then that player. I don't want to use the, the word deteriorating, but I, it's probably the best word deteriorating to the point where it's like not an all star anymore, uh, you know, not playing necessarily all the time, not able to do the things you used to do and to still win another title. Like I, maybe that's something that we don't appreciate enough about that team. But again, it speaks to the depth that you're talking about that they were able to build. And then again, fast forward to this team, like, no Julius Randle was obviously th- three-time All-Star now. And how much? How many nights did we spend waxing poetic about the two centers on this team? We spent we spent a month and a half building the all-defense case. I forget all-defense, building a defensive player of the year case for Mitchell Robinson, and then he goes out, and then Isaiah Hardenstein comes in. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe we had the wrong center that we were touting for all-defense, and to lose Mitch, to lose Julius. To lose Hardenstein for a little bit and then to lose OG. Um, now obviously their depth is being tested, but I think I I I I, I wanna say that I think that what they're experiencing now will help them in the long run as guys will get more like they will again, as presuming guys will get back and be healthy and nobody breaks down in the process. I think they'll be better for this come playoff time, do you? Yeah, I do. Uh the only thing I worry about. Are the are the long term effects of the injuries um, for sure? You know, injuries, uh, a big man who big men who have injured feet uh, tend to have a hell of a time trying to come back right away. Uh, Randall, you know what's going to be the first time he tries? What's going to happen the first time he tries to bull his way to the basket with that recently repaired shoulder? What if uh, you know OG hyper extends his his elbow again? Um, you know, these are all difficult injuries, and I know they're saying they're going to reevaluate in some cases, uh, you know, within the next two to three weeks on all of them. Yeah. But really, and I know Knicks fans don't want to hear this, it would not surprise me at all if we eventually hear that none of these guys are coming back until the playoffs. And you know what? I I personally don't think that that's the end of the world, and I think I, I, it's tough because... The Knicks got up into. I mean, weren't they briefly like tied for tied for second? Uh, Andrew will check tied for right, second. Right? Yep. Yeah, they were tied for yep. second. Everybody obviously getting very excited, and uh, right right around that same time, they made the trade. And after the trade, everybody's like, "Oh, here are the Knicks. They could actually make the finals if they if they do this thing the right way." And I think maybe collectively, not that we got a little too ahead of ourselves, but lost sight of the of the big prize, which is, and again, this is being tested now. If you could get to the, 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 the doorstep of the playoffs healthy, like, is it, would it be the end of the world if the Knicks are the six seed? I guess it depends on who the three seed would be, but like, I don't know that this team is going to care all that much about where they are. Now, obviously if they're a six seed and they lose in the first round, it's not going to be a great look, but I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think they just want to get there healthy at this point. Yeah, fans care about the seeding. Uh, you know, the players obviously want to win every single game, but yeah, I, I bet if you would put them, hook them up to a lie detector test, they're going, I'd rather have this team back and healthy yeah. come game one of the playoffs than, you know, win a game against uh, Houston that we should have won back in February. <laughs> yes. By, by the way, I sent yeah. you. 
I sent you an email. I clipped, uh, uh, I went back and took a look at the reactions of you and Andrew and Benji when the uh, um, Brunson shot, or not with Brunson shot, when Brunson fouled Holiday. John, I've never seen your eyes get so big. They look kind of like does. (laughs) It was amazing. I just, it's it's been a long road, Ray. Yeah, I know. Long road. I've, you've seen more than me, a lot more than me, but I, I, we've both seen a lot. And uh, I don't know, maybe your eyes don't get that big anymore because you've seen so much more than me. I still have the capacity to be surprised in that one. No, it's just that at my age, you can't get them open that well. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm not going to keep you for that much longer, I promise. <laughs> I, I do want to just briefly, two, two more topics. One, I want to say Brunson for last. Um, for one, I'll, I'll get to where I'm going shortly. I promise. In 1970, the 1969-70 season. So when the Knicks were entering that, obviously they had, had a, a great regular season. But like 68, 69, 70 Like back in those, back in those, back in those days. Um, obviously there were so few teams, and I think if you were, like, there wasn't the the because there were only four teams that made the playoffs in each conference. Like I'm looking right, I'm looking at it now. So 69-70, the Knicks, it was the Knicks, the Bucks, the Bullets, and the Sixers. So, you know, the Bucks you have to you have to fear because it's Kareem. And the Bullets, you've always had battles with them and you have you have their respect. The Sixers like, okay, whatever, we could take care of business, and they did take care of business. But I I'm like this East. I guess what I'm saying is I don't think the Knicks have that internal confidence yet that they're like, okay, we know we're better than maybe all of these teams except Boston, right? Because they haven't really proven it yet. Like, yes, they went out and beat Cleveland last year in the playoffs, and that was significant. That was very big. But when you look at them against whether it's the Bucks, I mean, if the Sixers get Joel Embiid back, if it's, I mean, this... uh you know, these pace, the Pacers, they're feisty as all hell. Um, even like, you know, maybe they'll die one of these days, Miami. You know, I, I think what's going to be interesting for me with the Knicks in these playoffs is whether they can have that moment that I feel like every team needs, which is to realize because you prove it that like, okay, we can do this. Like we, we're, we're, we, we got this because I still feel like every NBA team needs to do that in the playoffs. Maybe the Cleveland series did, did more for their psyche than I'm giving it credit for. To me, that was a knockdown drag out. Just mm-hmm. absolute, t- you know, both teams going behind the woodshed and, and having at it. I, you know, d- I don't know. Do you, do you agree with me that they need to have a, a moment where they collectively are like, we know when we play together and we play our style of ball, there's not anyone that, that could beat us. Well, as pro athletes, I'm going to guess in their mind, they're already there. However, 
I agree with what you're saying because in the history of sports, you can, on the on one hand, come up with teams that came out of nowhere to win a championship. Exactly. Most of them go through that process, right? Yep. The Knicks lost uh, in the second round. You know, now they've got to get to the point where they're going to lose in the final. I mean, look at how much, look at uh, um, how many games the Bulls lost uh, in the playoffs before they finally got to the point where they were reeling them off. So I think that's where the Knicks have to go. And it's not only for them, but it's for also the league to go, oh, shit, these guys, they're now threats. And we got to take them really seriously. Uh, So I think right now the Knicks are going, hey, you know, we could, you know, we get to the finals. We can get to the world champ. We can win a world championship. But most of the league is like, nah, nah, the East, you're probably still the third, maybe probably the fourth best team in the East. Not quite there yet, dude. And the tough part. And I'm happy you brought up the Bulls because they're a great example of it. Like Jordan, Pippen, Grant, like that group was together for mm-hmm. a few years before they finally got over the hump. And I, I don't know, maybe there was calls after they got eliminated in the Pistons uh, or by the Pistons that last that final time before they finally broke through. Maybe there were calls to like, oh, you got to you know trade trade Pippen or trade Grant. I don't think the league was like that back then. You know mm-hmm. now. The, the 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 shelf life on these teams to to like where, where you could keep them together is so short and the pressure to win is like so instantaneous when you get there like we don't get these teams obviously it goes without saying we don't get these teams to stay together for for that long and the ones that we do get that stay together are ones that that do get over the hump and they win it all like the Warriors and before them, the Spurs, but even the Spurs was a different league back then in terms of like, I, I think player movement. So, you know, I, I, I don't think this year is the be all end all, but I do think it is an important year, you know, to, to yeah. you know, for them as a franchise. Yeah, it's very, very important. And, you know, back then the biggest impediment to keeping a team together was injury because yeah. in Reed's case and in a number of athletes case, you know, surgery was back, was still back in the stone ages. Uh, and if you had to have, you know, you had to repair a torn MCL or a torn, you know, ACL, your career was, your, you know, your career could have been over. Now it's a lot different. Yeah. Um, well, look, the, the team that they have right now is, I think, other than the players they just acquired, which I, I, I again, I, I think that's more of a stopgap thing. I don't think they're counting on either of these guys to be here long term. I think it's more again help them now. Yes, but it's more about okay, another step, get a get a contract in here that you can move in the offseason. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens with Burks. Um so I'm not too worried about that. Everybody else other than those guys though is in their 20s. You know, all the significant mm-hmm. pieces here now. And I think that's important and of course the one at the center of it and we'll end here is Jalen Brunson. Um Man, uh, there was an MVP straw poll that came out today from Tim Bontemps, who does these things uh, a couple times a year, where he goes and polls a bunch of voters who actually do vote on MVP. And uh, Brunson finished seventh uh, in MVP voting right now. I think I think last year he finished eighth. He was seventh right now. I could see him getting even a little higher than that um, by mm-hmm. the time the year is over. I mean, you look through... Since Reed won it and Frazier had a couple of high finishes too, people don't realize like he, he finished pretty, really high up there a couple of times since then 
The only Knicks in the, in the legitimate, like serious MVP conversation have been Bernard King, Patrick Ewing, and Carmelo Anthony. And I feel like Brunson is is kind of we need to put him in that conversation. So again, you who has seen all these, you you watched all of those guys' entire careers here with the Knicks. What what, what say you on this topic? I say that in all of the sports in New York, Jalen Brunson is the most important athlete on any of our professional teams, whether it's the Yankees, the Rangers, the Islanders, the Jets, the Giants. He is the linchpin because he is the guy that could bring this team to a championship with that other piece. He's the guy that could control the flow on the floor and get that whoever that missing piece is involved to the point that he can lead us there. Now, if you go through and I won't because, you know, we're, we're running out of time, but just just I would encourage everybody just think about for all of our other professional teams right now. Is there one player that you could point to and go, OK, we've got so much writing on that one person, Garrett Cole for the Yankees, maybe um, Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, I, you know, who else you like that one? Well, look, I'm a Jets fan too. I oh yeah, that's right. I but, forgot that. But you know, 40 year old Aaron Rodgers has a better chance of ripping his other Achilles and leading the Jets to a Super Bowl. Um, so I, I think Jalen Brunson right now is the man. I'll go one step further. Uh, I think that this will be in the next couple of years recognized as one of the top five free agent signings ever in the NBA. Not just in this time period, ever. I would oh, challenge man. anybody to sit down and make a list. And I'm talking about starters who could change the trajectory of the team. I'm not talking about a DiVincenzo contract, which in and of itself is great. Yeah, but that's up, a different, different conversation. That's a different, that's a different conversation. conversation. Come up with free agent signings in the NBA that are going to be true difference makers for a team with the potential of getting them to a world championship. And people are going to go, oh, I, I, man, well, I know John's got the wheels turning, but. Well, off the, off the dome, off the mm-hmm. dome, it, Shaq with the Lakers is, is number one. Uh, okay. It's, okay. I mean, it, it, they've won three championships. So that's, that's that. Um, but other than that, and then LeBron, I, I'm uh, yeah. LeBron. You could, does LeBron get, does LeBron get mentioned? Is he t- go on there twice? One for Miami and and one for Cleveland. Um, even if you put him on there twice, I think I think there's a real looking at it. I think you got a real argument here that that, that might come to fruition. I don't yeah. think it's I don't think it's nuts, which is wild to say to even yeah, to wild even, to even think. Uh, yeah, because there, there's room on that. There's room on that Mount Rushmore, I guess, is the point, right? Mm-hmm. There's room there for someone to to come in and like, look, if he if he does it, if he even doesn't even matter if they bring it. If again, you're t- you're mentioning the other guy. If the other guy like leads them in scoring, or the other guy is is a becomes more recognized, maybe gets more MVP votes or whatever. I think Brunson has elevated himself to the place where no one who ever watches him in a Nick uniform will question 
his importance, right? And his value right. to not only turning the franchise around, but also to, uh, you know, what he does in the locker room, what he does on the court and all those, all those sorts of things. So I, that's a hell of a call, right? I got to tell you, that's a good one. You're keeping that every one now and then. <laughs> every now and then a blind squirrel. It's called blind squirrel. Please Man. excuse me. My, 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 uh, my stuttering problem is acting up today. <laughs> no, you're, I'm you're ser- no, I'm serious. I, I can't though. Um, I, listen, uh, this is, I got me. I could talk to you for, for hours about this team. Anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to touch on before I let you go? No, I'm good, man. It's just always a, a pleasure to be here and sit here and talk basketball with you. I just hope that people who are going to watch this, I haven't put them to sleep with the ramblings of an old man. Um, that's all I hope. And by the way, for anybody wondering, yes, that is a little bit of my bourbon collection behind me. Okay, okay, so that's that's what I was going to ask you to do. Um, can you plug can you plug the newsletter, which I am a proud subscriber the, of? Uh, the Bourbon Resource, the Bourbon Resource on Substack comes out every month, and it gives you all the news that you want about uh, or the best news in the bourbon industry. In addition to that, we got a lot of reviews, recipes, all kinds of stuff. Free, always free. When you. What, reading your breakdowns of how you like, like, I, I, I'm not even going to try to describe it. Subscribe to the Bourbon Resource on Substack and and read Ray how Ray breaks down. Uh, you know, trying a new bourbon. It is, it is special, and it, it's very clear that you, um, you, you know, love a good bourbon. So, and you got yeah, me. Yeah, in the Maybe it's special, but it's not as special as listening to John Macri no, and his it. cadre of guests come on the next film school. Uh, speaking <laughs> of which, I, I just got we just got a text from uh, from or we're texting with Fred, who apparently is stuck on a plane <laughs> to uh, to Orlando. Uh, supposed to be talking to him later. Which by by the point uh, you listening to this. Um, Will have already happened, or it wouldn't have already happened. We'll see. Uh, Ray, do me a do me yeah. a favor. Ask Fred the Jalen Brunson question. Is Jalen Brunson one of the top five free agent signings in the history of the NBA? Or, or is there a chance that he could get there in the next? In it the could next be. That's years? right. One yeah. or the other. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's a good question. Um, I will ask him that. Ray Marcano, you are incredible. Um, thank you for everything you do uh, for Knicks Film School, but uh, mostly for just being a better friend than anyone deserves uh and and you've been a wonderful friend and and resource to me so um yeah this is fun we'll do it again soon thank you john thank you andrew you guys take care cool all right and all the way off oh i'm signing all the way off Yes, you did. Hey there, Knicks fans. Sign all the way off. <laughs> Thank you again, Ray. Thank you, everybody, for checking out another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. We hope you're enjoying your all-star break. There's going to be more uh, good stuff dropping uh, in the coming days leading up to uh, when the Knicks return uh, to the court uh, to play the Philadelphia 76ers. It'll, there will be, uh, obviously, post-game for that and the whole thing. And um, be back and uh, talking to you soon. Before you know it, peace out.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.